0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a very special, se- a first ever secret edition of the Distraction Pieces podcast. This is episode 47, and it's our first ever returning guest. It is the return of the one and only Mr. B. Dolan. Um, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. I, I kind of explained previously the point of the secretness of this was that I've really enjoyed we Obviously, we've got our secret t shirt club, a team three. Three W. You can buy the T-shirts. There's a there's there'll be an ad somewhere in this podcast to tell you where to go. But we don't talk about it online, so it's a hidden thing for those who subscribe and for those who are just keeping an eye on the podcast. So I wanted to do an actual whole episode on that, and um, it seemed logical that today, Friday the tenth of July. Obviously, we're recording this in advance, but today, Friday the tenth of July. On my record label, Speech Development, a record so I normally advertise at this point in the podcast, um, Big Dolan's album, Kill the Wolf, is coming out, and I thought it'd be good to get him on. We're recording it just over a week in advance of that. Get him on to kind of... And we'll talk about and tell you and give an insight to the ins, of, ins and outs of how of how releasing a record work, how independent record labels work, how... I mean, the pressures of a campaign are, are leading up. I'm not going to lie... All of us involved in this campaign so far have felt a huge amount of pressure at points. Things haven't always gone exactly how we wanted. It's tough being an independent label trying to push things out there. So that's going to be the kind of theme. Obviously, I normally have an advert here telling you to go to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and I recommend different things you should buy. Obviously, the only thing you should be buying today is B Dolan's Kill the Wolf on CD or vinyl. I think we're a week and a half off at the moment. It's looking like the vinyl might be slightly... Delayed because there was a slight skip on the test press. Um, I've not told a B that yet. I might mention it in the podcast. Um, so there might be a slight delay on that, but we- it's purely to get t- t- the highest quality product over to you guys. So yeah, there's that. There's also t-shirts, there's bundles, there's all sorts. So com. check us out. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of all I have to tell you before. So it's going to be great to talk to B. Oh, also, I should mention, this is the first time I'm doing one over Skype. And if many of you are podcast listeners, you'll know that that can be the worst thing you hear in a podcast because often the connections are terrible, the sound quality shit. So we're going out of our way to be a bit special with this. We're recording it or we're talking over Skype, but I'm getting B to record into a microphone at his and me to record into a microphone here. So we can hopefully then put them two files together and we are good to go. Um so yeah, that's that's how this is working. Um thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you'll enjoy the Doomtree ones on Wednesday the the Doomtree a tree special with POS and Dessa. This I think is the first time we've done 3 in a week. So we're probably overpowering you and overloading you here, but thank you very much for supporting. But yeah, let's get the podcast underway. I press record. We're on. I I too have press record. We're on the record now. So we're on the record now. Um, uh, how you doing, B Dolan? I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm doing all right. How you doing, Scooby's Pit? Um, I'm good. I've I've explained at the start of this that we're doing some weird Skype thing where we're recording them separately, so we should probably do something so, so they can be lined up easy by Wargy. I know yeah. we don't don't like making his life easy, but um, should we do like a countdown together? Yeah, okay, that sounds fun. Starting at three. Are we, going, are we going at three,
1: two, one, or are we going? Well, I guess that's the only way we'd be going. We yeah, wouldn't go three, wouldn't go three, up three, from three, four, five. Yeah. All right, so th- so three,
0: three, two, two.
1: No, I see you're mm- lagging behind me. Uh, let's shit. get it. Let's get it synced up, buddy. Okay, three, three. What's happening? I'm alone. I think <laughs> I'm all alone, uh, man.
0: All right, we're, we're going together. I promise. All right, here we go. Three, three two, one. one. That will be enough. he will be able to figure it out yeah, from now. Figure right? it out,
1: Wargy. Jesus. Um.
0: So yeah, th- this is the secret podcast that's coming out the day of release of your new album, Kill the Wolf. But we're recording it a week and a bit bit before. Yeah. So. How stressed are you, B? <laughs> I'm pretty stressed. My blood pressure is at twenty thousand,
1: as opposed to the normal ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, but uh, no, I'm, it's it's good, man. I'm it's mostly I'm mostly excited. Yeah, um, that's always good. Yeah, I uh, my inbox and my text message queue is uh, really overwhelming and horrifying at all times, from the minute it's, I wake up till the minute I close my eyes. But
0: yeah, it's interesting because this is probably the first time you've had a, a release that's being pushed I don't know a- actively in the UK so yeah sadly the time difference means that that you're waking up with t- <laughs> yeah. t- 10 emails from me t- a- 10 from your booking agent Rebecca yep. and just you're having to wake up and go all oh, right so yeah a whole, a whole day's gone by again yep. how that happen
1: yeah but I'm trying to uh, keep in perspective and, and I am excited that uh, if the times I'm not answering emails has mostly been rehearsing
0: yeah, um, and,
1: and building the new live set. So that's, that's been super exciting to like, uh, like figure out how some of these things are going to work live. And, and in the course of rehearsing, be like, oh, wow, th- this is going to be a cool, I can do this here. Like, you know, I've never, I've been sitting with these songs for five years, but I haven't messed with them as
0: live things yet. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: They're kind of becoming new again, which is cool.
0: Oh, I well, I I let's talk about the fact it's been five years in the making. Yeah. Um, yeah. How's that been, and how does it feel now for it to finally be out? I'd imagine that, in a way, adds extra pressure, but also the day after this podcast comes out, a massive relief that they're finally out there and it's finally in the ears of the public. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. It's this one was like a a really big undertaking, and I I um, I I do this to myself. Like I I um, I was a I'm a fan of music. First, and for a long time, and I always was. I always had this knowledge that at a certain point, like bands fall off, bands get yeah. like lazy, bands get, and so I'm always like policing myself for that shit. And the way I do it is to continually take on really ambitious things that I don't know how to do. Um, and like if I, you know, I kind of chase that feeling of like not knowing what the fuck I'm doing. And uh, sometimes that gets me in yeah. in situations where it takes me five years to put a fucking album together. Uh, yeah,
0: that's stressful. But I mean, yeah. in, in, in the lyrics and in interviews and in our discussions, you've touched upon at times the, um, the necessity of points to go away for a bit. I think in rap, particularly the way uh, mixtape culture is building up, people seem scared to go a month without releasing something. But at times... I think it's right that you and sage have both said this that sometimes you need to go away to to come back as you say yeah yeah for sure and and you know as we've been busy in the going away
1: time in the going away time yeah. we, we've been re- releasing stuff to keep people you know like interested or you know things that don't end up because i'm just kind of continually making songs so um yeah and some of those songs end up on an official album and some of them end up on a mixtape for whatever reason for sample clearance reasons whatever um so th- there's always is kind of like a continual output of stuff but yeah it is uh especially when it comes to an official album i think it's important to show pe- people something new when you are going to make this big a deal out of it <laughs> when you're yeah. gonna when you're gonna hire a publicist and make videos and do a world tour like you should that should be an important statement
0: yeah completely and 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 to strengthen that this is kind of the first time you've worked with full live instrumentation and really just being in the studio and building i don't know building everything from scratch rather than messing with samples and whatnot
1: yeah really literally from scratch i mean there's some samples on the record but even those samples were we processed them in news new ways we you know ran break beats through preamps and mixers and stuff to to uh, get a new sound for them and yeah, you know, EQ them in new ways and mixed them in new ways. And we we actually in the part of the reason it took so long is we physically built a studio in the middle of making this album like amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we moved out of one spot into the next and like I mean like the ele- you know like sound engineers coming in and elevate, you know, separating walls from joices and shit and pouring cement and stuff. That was DS3K the the album's engineer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, we we literally built a lot of shit for this one.
0: I mean, that's insane. And it really highlights, because again, if, it, 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 when you say you're five years in the making, some people will think, oh, you've had kind of a chilled five years. But <laughs> yeah. it's great to get across that kind of thing of, as well as all the touring, all the promoting, all the other writing and recording, there's physically been the building of studios. And
1: yeah. yeah, no, this the, is five years of work. Literal blood, yeah. sweat and shit tears going into this yeah yeah it's not six months of work and like four years of off time this is like five years of work
0: yeah so 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 um on this record you did um i was reading a great interview you did on passionvice.com which is is one of my favorite uh music sites and it was interesting in there that you were saying about how on this album you stepped away from some of the or you put more of the political stuff on the mixtapes so that they're more kind of just free and out there and can do what they want and on this you've you've wanted to be more focused on on hip-hop on the craft still there's still uh, political songs on there but on telling your stories and and honing the craft what what was the the whole thought process behind all that
1: I, I like struggle with, I have struggled in the past with my feelings about political music to begin with. I like, um, and what I have for the most part landed on is like, I don't want to make like bumper sticker rap songs where it's like, you just kind of rattle off nice sounding political platitude shit that people can agree with and feel good about agreeing with. And then, you know, um, And so when I make Political rap music I I tend to be Very specific about it Like I And I like to be specific About it Because I think that if you, you know, songs like Film the Police give people practical advice in an entertaining way, and that can be impactful, that can actually make a difference as opposed to just being a, a kind of like feel good moment. So when I make political stuff, I tend it to, to be very pointed, like this is about Rick Ross and Iran Contra, this is about filming police, this is, you know, um, and so... But as soon as you make songs like that you kind of also get pigeonholed like people hear a song like that and they're like oh I know what he is he's a political rapper. Yeah. And um and especially critics and all that shit like they I feel like it's a lazy thing that happens like personally I think that personal is political. I think that there's always politics even in the you know minute human interactions between a husband and wife or between a brother and sister like yeah, there's sure. like there's an elements of both in things in each other but um but in order to not give people the easy out of being like oh these are political songs um i i kind of avoided that i kind of kept the pointed political stuff on mixtapes and i kind of there. i It's again, it's like it's such a gray area that I feel like it's hard to say there's no political content on the album because there is, Um, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's more universal ideas and it's more uh, humanness, uh, the humanness of these political things. Somebody's still still gonna call me a conscious rapper, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's,
0: it's kind of good as well because I think things like. It it, or it shows, and I mean, just people who follow you on Facebook will know that you show regularly that your your it's genuine political belief or, or 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 activism, rather than just oh I need to write a song and this will, will go off at the moment, and that that kind of shows with songs like "Film the Police" and 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 the, and "The Devil Is Alive" because the fact is. they could have been huge bangers on your official albums but they needed to go out at that time like they couldn't wait five years you couldn't couldn't sit on that for five years because the important stuff that needed to be said needed to be said then so in a way I think from my perspective it seemed like you um, overlooked potential uh, personal uh, career goals or, or, or how you could improve your own career from these songs and just went with, right? No, this song needs to be written, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a great guy. You're a great guy. Um, <laughs> ha, how do you, I mean, I had this for at the end of the thing, but ha, how do you see the line between being an artist and promoting your shit and being a human that can't ignore what's going on in your country at the moment? Obviously, there's been a lot of, I mean, I love going through a few of your, um, your, your Facebook status is is, is, is seeing the debates in there and it's tough because on one level you're 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 meant to be here to entertain stuff and do stuff but on uh, the the reality is a lot of the shit that's been going on in America recently with the, the the police acting completely inappropriately and with you know kids taking up arms and going and shooting up black churches it's stuff that needs to be addressed and I don't know, I feel that can put, you're always at risk of putting a certain amount of your fan base off there. So it's it's always has to be a bold and conscious choice to go, no, fuck you if you think this is acceptable or shouldn't be talked about, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, like I said, like I've, I've kind of wrestled with, um, you know, politics and art from, for a long time, from before the time that people knew me, um, I was living in New York on September 11th and, and at that time I was there trying to jump off my rap career. I moved to New York because all my favorite MCs were from there and yeah. at that time that was really like the break for me in a lot of ways. Like it was it changed me in a couple of ways and and one of the important ways it changed me was that I I suddenly like really felt that I needed to be involved in social justice work and that there were like real emergencies going on in the world that I needed to not just I was politically conscious at that time because of bands like Public Enemy and you know like I was writing about these things yeah. and reading about these things. But I something about like seeing the impact of you know world war in my city like um yeah sure it, it yeah it like radicalized me I guess you'd say and and kind of like made me want to get active and I stopped I stopped performing at that time like I when I came back to Providence and when I met Sage Francis for the first time I wasn't even trying to perform because I had kind of I kind of like already written off like, uh, you, you know, I'm going to make stuff, but I'm going to make it just for me. Like I, I uh, you know, I had this encounter with Def Jam when I was in New York and I, I had kind of decided that the music industry and that side of shit was not for me. Like I I was like committed to this like dark political, you know. Uncomfortable work that I was making, and I just saw no way that that was ever gonna sell. And I was like, "All right, fuck it! Like, I'm gonna be an activist." So when I when I met Sage, it was on some activist shit. I was trying to get him to help me with uh, the youth uh, poetry project that I was jumping off in Providence. And yeah and from that just to he he punked me off and from that just to just to show that i i had skills and like i wasn't just some random dude i started performing where they performed and that's how i met and start you know and he and touring with sage kind of showed me like oh, no there's this whole diy circuit that exists there's this whole scene for stuff like what you make and you can have an impact Making that stuff, you can you can do this as a career. So like I I came into all this like again from a place where I was like fuck it like. <laughs> so yeah. that's the origins. So now you know it's just ne- it's never changed. Like the in 2015, 15 years later, you know what that means is like. I don't. I don't need to sell tickets that badly that I want a racist or a homophobe at my show. Like I don't need to sell you a fucking CD. Like I, I <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah. I, <laughs> I. I would much rather you just stay home. And and also when my career took off and I found myself with an audience in front of me, which were because of the scene in, in independent hip hop, were predominantly white. Um, I I've, I've felt like, OK, like, let's talk about whiteness because I feel like it's the job of white people to talk to other white people about white privilege and white power and white violence. And I feel like it's the job of straight men to talk to other straight men about homophobia and those things. So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, the the audience that's come to me has it puts me in a unique position to talk to kids because I'm like them. But I'm also allied, an ally with you, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and you, yeah. you know equal rights for LGBTQ people. You, you know, so uh, so yeah. Often my Facebook page turns into like these w- a weird fucking workshop where <laughs> where fans are talking to other fans about how they feel, and that's that's really cool. Like I, I think yeah, that's, that's
0: dope. yeah, I think that's great. I think this. I think, is, a, I think you made a great. P- point there of something that gets overlooked a lot is um is again it's 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 a known saying now and even becoming more and more relevant that it's not enough to just not be racist um you have to speak to people in your community and and all this kind thing because the fact is it's easier for someone to write off a black person telling them that black lives matter yeah do you know what I mean if or or for a white person to write off because cause there's a certain there may be a certain distance that they're already feeling whereas someone who they can relate to and see as like them or familiar to them yeah. then they're more likely to listen and pay attention yeah. and and and, t- and take that in and and actually change or care about it r- rather than have the gut instinct of arguing instantly because cuz Because you're saying something that's against their beliefs, if you know what I mean. Yeah.
1: And it also takes the burden off. It's like, you know, because people have this like entitled feeling like I got to talk to my black friends about this shit. Like, well, you're if, if like you at all accept the premise that like your black friends are already dealing with you know uh white privilege white power white violence they're already day-to-day encountering racism like that's the last person that needs to spend two hours talking to you about yeah. why you are more afraid of black people you, you know like that yeah, yeah. In, in addition to shouldering uh inequality they shouldn't also have to be responsible for teaching your ass you know about their life you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah completely well i mean i i'll and let's talk about a bit of, of what's been going on I, I, in America recently, because obviously there's been another huge tragedy with a, 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 a mass killing, and it's brought a lot of people to, even even Obama for the first time, to kind of talk about question marks over the gun laws. Um yeah. and and, and my stance on that is a weird one because I I stand in a country where we have obviously far stricter gun laws and we don't have that kind of thing happening nearly as regular as America does so my instinct is that America should tighten up their gun laws but with everything else that's been going on this year, I can't consciously stand here and tell a black man in America that they shouldn't be able to defend themselves, (laughs) that they should just feel safe because guns are bad. It's like, well, one of the other problems is the police, and Mm -hmm. no matter how much you change your gun laws, they're going to have guns still. So I can understand that community, if you know what I mean, feeling the need for that. But it's it's a a weird area. Where do you kind of, of sit on all that?
1: Yeah, I mean uh the thi- the thing about Obama is uh it's not the first time he has he has like said that you know we need tighter gun control. He's he's yeah. uh he's said it multiple times but it's just every time he says it he's I sense less and more and more desperation with him. Yeah, like he, yeah. he he says it but there's no legislation proposed, there's no uh because it's already, we've already tried in the wake of mass shootings to propose that legislation and it gets shot down and so there's this weird kind of I don't know there's this weird kind of thing on the left where it's like after each time this happens someone comes out and says like Hey guys, you know gun laws are fucked up. Uh, yeah. y- you know this doesn't happen in other countries, and then we all go back to business as usual until it happens again, and then we act shocked and light candles when it happens. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely hear you, and I've heard like Killer Mike talking about his beliefs, and and personally, man, I'm a gun owner. Like I have a gun here. Yeah. Um, and so it is a it's a very funny thing and I imagine it's a, a hard thing to understand if you're not in the United States because we have we do have this like tradition of owning guns. Um and I I think it's, you know, in a way it's very antiquated and almost laughable now because like our tradition of owning guns comes from the second amendment and the people's right to defend themselves against the government which you know is part of like America being born Uh, out of revolution and that constitution being written, you know, while, while the memory of having to resist uh, a tyrannical government was like fresh in their minds. Um, So they wanted to protect their ability to form militias and all that. Yeah. And, but you know what that means now, I, I just think it's another, it's one of those things that we, we haven't updated what, what it means. And we have now all these kind of fringe People who are also the most likely to be terrorists, like these, like yeah. white ma- right wing males who are the most deadly terrorist cell, you know, like uh, operating in America at the time. And, you know, they've they've killed more people since nine eleven than any other terrorist group.
0: It's um, crazy, isn't it? it's yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that, again, I think. It got sh- shared around a lot, but John Stewart had his, 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 his monologue on it and was just saying exactly that. It's like, it's saying we'll do anything to yeah, defend yeah. our country against terrorists from outside of America. Yeah. Yet the biggest threat has now become our own. And we kind of go, yeah, but it's the second amendment. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, well, all right. So you'll do absolutely anything. You'll condone and many people do still condone the, the torture and appalling treatments and stuff that went on yeah. because d- Deep down, they think, well, they're fucking terrorists. Yeah. You know, it's not nice to hear, but they're terrorists. It needed to be done, and all this yeah. kind of thing. Yet that goes completely out the window when it's like you, you can't have that gun in your cupboard anymore. Yeah, so, but I, I like having my gun in my cupboard. <laughs> so. And Pete, right. man, and the levels,
1: like I've I've seen firsthand. You know, I have relatives and family that has, you know, gun safes. Like you know, people have yeah. arsenals. Like. uh and or, or, or one of the best lines on the album is yeah. uh, is of your cousin.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, do, do, do you want to share that line?
1: Yeah, my, uh, my brother got a gun safe. That's a safe he bought to keep his gun
0: safe. <laughs> again, it's just yeah. and again it, it it highlights the ludicrousness of of. of what is a regular a reality? Yeah. And it, you know,
1: it's one of those things too. And a lot of people said that, for example, like uh, with Obamacare, a lot of people said that, you know, cause there was a big call for single payer when that healthcare debate was happening in America. Um, yeah. And, and, it, and, what was said in response to that was like, well, yes, Europe has single payer, but Europe has a long history of single payer. And in America, we have a long history of, you know, pay, pay for it yourself and a privatized system. And so to, you know, you can't quite, we can't just go to single payer was yeah. Obama's actually take on it. And I feel like it's a similar thing where it's like, yes, we're, in order to change our gun laws, we're going to have to go against hundreds and hundreds of years of existing tradition yeah uh but that doesn't mean it doesn't still need to be done and we can at least take like incremental steps towards something a little more sane um even if again
0: yeah yeah, i i I completely agree i think people get too hung up on um oh well it'd be too big a change to make and the the only area i slightly disagree is i think i think it is possible to change completely i think i think history i think it's um when a r- a Russia converted to communism and there was communism and democracy at the same time. They literally went overnight in the morning, here's all the changes. (laughs) And again, it got corrupted over time and things like that. But I think it's an illustration that that shit can happen. Obviously, that's probably not realistic in America at the moment, but it's not that black and white a a, a yes or no. As you're saying, there can be incremental changes. There can be improvements. Even saying, you, you can keep your gun, but you can't have... Automatic weapons, or them, there needs yeah. to be psych evaluations and things like that. Right, Just right, bringing right. things in, surely that's a better route. And yeah, there's and solutions it, there. And
1: also, there's a you know, there's another line on the album uh, that says like, I, "I got a rifle, but I ain't got drones." Like, they, yeah. you know, when you think about the fact that like these laws exist so we could defend ourselves against the government, well, like. Man, I don't give a shit what your arsenal looks like. You 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 are not defending yourself against the United States government yeah. at this point yeah. in time. Like That's you ridiculous. you yeah. and your home, you know, you and your your fucking family might have a little compound where you can, uh, you know, make a stand for 10 days, but like if the US government wants you gone, you're gone no matter yeah. where, like where you are in the world with the you know, and like arguably, especially if you're in mainland America. So like it, the shit doesn't even line up anymore, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's just yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great point. I didn't really know that part of the amendment and the part that yeah that the illusion is that you're protecting yourself against the government when yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. and you and, can't do that. That's being proven over and over again at the moment. Yeah, but it's one of those things, man.
1: It's like it's like Mormonism. It's like a weird. The weird aberration that formed uh, as a result of like this American experiment <laughs> now yeah. like, now we just it's gotta really, like try and get that shit in
0: check it's, it's really strange and the toughest part is is the way that your government is run with the Congress and you know all, all the different kind of angles of it of, to get stuff cleared because then now this is going to sound like a really insensitive comparison to gun law but over here when we were bringing in the smoking ban it was the biggest deal in the world everyone felt it was a huge um infringement on rights on on if you choose to smoke in public place blah blah within a month of it coming in that died down so much and i truly believe so much change of american gun law it would be the biggest deal until you actually do it yeah. and then shortly after that people would be like yeah Cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, do you know what yeah, I mean, it's the yeah, talking yeah. about stuff in advance that can be the biggest right. issue. And at sure. points, it's just a time to go, right? No, we can't talk about this anymore. And again, there's if you can change it, then, then it can be changed back. So, right. you know, I don't, yeah, I don't understand that. Or I, yeah, I don't understand that resistance as a white British person living in a country that's never had guns. Obviously (laughs) I don't understand that resistance.
1: Yeah, it's tough, man. And it's tough because the, the people that, you know, it's like a, a cliche that people got very incensed about, um, that, uh, I I think it was Obama during the camp, during his presidential camp, his first presidential campaign had some private comment about people being attached to their guns and their Bibles. And and that you know though the people in this country that are clinging to their guns the hardest are also the people that are you know in in areas that are less educated less you know like less poverty you know there's more poverty they're they're basically yeah. like impoverished poorly educated white people like and and that's stereotypical because you know there's gun owners all over the country like i said i'm one but in the areas where you find the most resistance the areas where those people are going to fight those laws the hardest and the areas where those people are going to turn into militias and often turn out to be terrorists are the you know like the, the the stereotypical is the stereotypical shit. It's the reason that yeah. you know the the Confederate flag is now like a big issue because like we see that flag in the South. We see, and, and nine times out of 10, when you talk to that person with the Confederate flag on their truck, they've got a gun. And if you talk to them long enough, they're going to say some racist shit. You know, like, it, yeah. it, you know, yeah, people yeah, say yeah. like it's a symbol of Southern pride, but it's it, it's bullshit, man. Like I've been around this country a lot and I've talked to a lot of people and you know that there's resistance and and it's very armed resistance so like how are you going to go get those people's guns like are you yeah. you know <laughs> like yeah, yeah. That's, is you're going to have a firefight every time that happens or, yeah you know.
0: completely and, and 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 there's a level of again it's 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 not a simple thing i'm completely understanding of that because there's a level of right you if someone spent thousands of pounds on their gun collection legally yeah, yeah. it's hard to turn around and say right you don't own that anymore yeah you know i understand there's there's levels of resistance and stuff that needs to be tweaked yeah. but um yeah i don't know i think. There's think. there's there's certainly a a discussions to be had. Um, I I do want to get on to some touring stories and stuff like that. But before we do that, as we've mentioned Obama, do you think Obama is riding a fireball backwards, sticking two middle fingers up as he leaves (laughs) leaves office? Because I think he is, and I think it's great at the moment. The fact he's... I I feel the biggest changes he's going to make are going to be in the last few months or whatever of his term. Because now it's like, well... You, I'm out of here now, yeah. so, so fuck you, um, gay marriage, <laughs> yeah. let's get rid of the Confederate flag, let's do this <laughs> and do that. Do you think that's kind of the, the vibe now that he's eventually going to kind of live up to the hype that he had coming in, yeah. in those last few months? That's certainly the feeling, um,
1: and that, that seems to be, you know, he's, he's definitely, he's had a hell of a, you know, this is traditionally known as like the lame duck. Uh, session where like um, he's got two years left, and they yeah. uh, the Republicans got control of the Congress. Um, so the like conventional wisdom when that happened was like, well, this presidency is over. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know, it's been the opposite. He's actually yeah. started to do some of the shit that people have been, you know, hollering for him to do for the past six years. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's consistent with who he always was. I think the, that initial wave of like hope and excitement, um, had a lot to do with who he was as a speaker and, yeah. um, and who he was historically, like that historic change was exciting to people. But
0: yeah, who, yeah,
1: of who he was in terms of policy and who he was as a senator was always, you know, was always a lot more like circumspect than than a lot of his supporters. And I think that had a lot to do with like the initial, you know, disappointment around yeah. him. But But, you know, like... I knew, you know, I, I was listening to what he was saying about shit, and I I knew what to expect, and I knew that people still had to keep pressure on him all throughout his presidency, yeah. and, and that's the Democrats, really. Like, um, but you know, he, I mean, the dude, he was like a constitutional scholar b- before he was a senator. So, and I think that's how he he went about his presidency for the per- first six years was very like, well, you know, like I'm not going to overstep my presidential authority like you know there's a there's a process there's a balance of power you know we're going to put these things to the congress and you know you have like this you know the republicans when they are not the majority uh when they don't have the president they are really good at putting you know bringing government to a halt and not letting shit happen um and that's what they did to him for about 6 years and yeah now it seems like he's like all right well <laughs> we tried the constitutional scholar route so now we're going to go the like cowboy route which is what people have been calling for him to do but you know i understand i understand the thought process which is like you don't want when it was george bush in office you didn't want the president to be able to declare war without the congress you didn't want the president to be able to do you know so in you know the the method was like well you know i'm going to respect the authorities of the president and not overreach yeah. them but you know when it's on again,
0: it w- yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I th- and I think it makes a sense as well. That, and again, I, I don't want to put too much. A credit where it might be but if he'd walked in and just started changing shit and, and going straight at it there would have been so much resistance from all angles whereas spending some time making smaller slower changes and winning people over getting people on side within the congress within everything else I, th- I think would I'd imagine has made it easier for him to now make the changes he's making no, I, I I think at the moment he's just oh, he's just bypassing the Congress. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's good too. That's <laughs> like that, fuck you. That works. <laughs> um, well, I mean, thankfully, and this is going to sound harsh now, but thankfully, you get to leave America quite regularly. Um, and you've toured extensively over over here, and kind of more so than anyone I know at your level of of rap, if you know what I mean. That I think um, Americans. And it's again, it's the, it's similar. Like me and Dan, even at our peak, uh, we've managed to tour America once properly. So the fact that you've been over numerous times shows a lot of of, of love for over here. So I, w- I want to get on to some t- stories, some tour stories. But first, I want to read out your upcoming tour dates. You've got yeah. in America on July 11th, you've, you've got the release show at the Met in, yeah. p- in Providence. Then on the 15th, you've got Kung Fu Necktie in Philadelphia. And on the 25th, you've got... First Avenue with Sage in Minneapolis then you come to the UK in September and you've got you're you're doing a spoken word set on my stage at Bestival Um, and then you're at the Rainbow in Birmingham on the 15th the Deaf Institute in Manchester on the 16th the Ferret in Preston on the 17th uh, Electric Circus in Edinburgh on the 18th Stereo in Glasgow on the 19th, The Fleece in Bristol on the 21st, The Globe in Cardiff on the 22nd, XOYO in London on the 23rd and The Haunt in Brighton on the 24th. But then also in October, you're going to Amsterdam, The Sugar Factory. October 3rd, you've got Pan Piper in Paris, um, a Molotov bar in Hamburg on October fifth, private club in Berlin on October sixth, and Botanique on the tenth of October in Brussels, and more being added as we speak. F- yeah. From what I'm seeing from my inbox, yeah, I just so, saw
1: I just saw a Dublin show too. I think there's going to be some Irish dates announcing soon. And I mean, that's
0: sweet because yeah. as soon as those dates were announced, w- the first voices up were Ireland, <laughs> yeah. or a, yeah. a lot of them were Ireland. And I mean, you've always had a. L- a lot of love in ireland i think the first place you ever stage dived was belfast right it was a,
1: yeah it was the first place i ever crowd surfed
0: and you're not a small guy no. so that was a hell of a, a hell of a <laughs>
1: moment and a hell of a show yeah yeah man I, the pictures of that are great because i like all cool has evaporated from my face i, lo- I just like lo- <laughs> i just had like this big dumb smile on my face like i'm three <laughs> like it's happening it's happening for me i never dreamed it would happen but it is yeah that's beautiful well those um, kids in I Belfast mean, I, and the kids underneath me looked like they were building a pyramid like they just had like <laughs> they just had their heads down and their
0: shoulders squared you know I love it I love it well I mean I, I want to get some tour stories in but I don't want to be greedy and just focus on this side of the pond because you've just had a massive tour with atmosphere yeah. and you've been getting up with them and freestyling at the end of the sets yeah. so, t- so tell us a little bit about that that sounds amazing I uh, yeah
1: well slug kind of he shamed me into freestyling again like
0: I, <laughs> as you're as you're trying to do with me at the moment <laughs> privately over yeah. messages yeah
1: it's, it's like a, it's like a juice <laughs> cleanse like I'm trying to get everybody into this shit now uh, <laughs> yeah but uh, but yeah man I the last time I was good at freestyling was like 2000, 2001. I was like I dropped out of school I was living with um, uh, two dudes one of them was trying to start a streetwear brand and the other um, was trying to MC and so he would rap all the time we were just listening. Listen to rap or rap twenty four hours a day in the in the and also anywhere you went in in that time like you walked out of any poetry event or rap show and there was like a cipher on the sidewalk it was hard not to freestyle at that time because everyone yeah. was just doing the shit all the time and by doing it all the time you get good at it and that's when it starts to be fun and um and I knew that and I remember that time but I just kind of fell out of practice over the years and. And then, you know, Minneapolis MCs—they—they they have like this, like fixation slash like deep appreciation for freestyling. I think it has to do with idea, uh, yeah, because that yeah, dude, yeah, of course, that's the dude that really elevated that shit. To he like transcended on some, you know, he listened to that dude freestyles you know, it gets more astonishing as you get better at freestyle. Yeah, completely.
0: And, and, and he was one of the Kings of of Scribble Jam, which of course was, you know, came out of the atmosphere and, you know, the, yeah, yeah, the Minneapolis, uh, base there. So yeah, I guess that 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 aspiration or or that that badge of achievement is is, is going to naturally be heavy in that town.
1: Yeah, yeah, I attribute it to him. I because it, like it, it's just a thing like when you're around Minneapolis MCs, man. I I toured with Toki Wright and and it was a similar like he was like he, you know, we're just talking in the van. He's like, "You know, at the end of the show, you want to all freestyle together?" And I was like, ah oh, man, like I'm kind of rusty with the, I'm kind of rusty with the freestyle." Like and he just looked at me like like he, he just gave me, like, it was in shade. It was kind of shade. Like, it was like, you're off your game, man. And I was just like, you know, I just played it off. Like, whatever. You know, I'm a good writer, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. fucking, uh, and, the, you know, and the same thing with Slug. He You know, like, we toured Europe in the fall, last fall. And he was like, yo, you want to get up and, and freestyle? And I was like, nah, man, I'm kind of rusty, kind of rust-. And, then, you know, like, he would, he left it alone. He wasn't, he wasn't, like, giving me shit or anything. But, like, we'd be walking around the city and he'd just start freestyling, like, prompting me to and I was like you know like and so when I left that when I <laughs> le- <laughs> when I left that tour I knew we were touring together in the spring and I told him like I'm going to have the freestyle ready by the time we tour in the spring he was like yeah I was like yeah so for like 4 months I knew that the only way to do it is to constantly do it. So I just, every time I was in the car, I had a beat CD and I would just listen to my own shitty freestyles for hours and hours and hours. Cause you suck for a long time. You yeah. just like, yeah, these like crutch crutches, you keep falling back on or you say other people's lyrics or you just yeah. fucking, uh, you say your name 80 times. And, uh, but, uh, yeah.
0: You must know everything that B. Dolan rhymes with. Like <laughs> yeah, every yeah. syllable rhyme for every part. keep going. Every part.
1: Free flowing. All the way across the deep ocean. <laughs> Turn the bass up. Let me feel the low end. Got a lot of meat in my colon. Hit the free throw <laughs> and get the extra point. Anyway, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, yeah, so, but I I got there. And by the time we toured together in the spring, the first night, he was like, ah, he's like, you know, me and Dan are going to freestyle at the end of the set. I was like, ah, I'll, I'll freestyle with you. He was like, yeah. And so, when it, yeah, it went off. It's fun, man. Now Now I'm at the point where, like, I've gotten to that point again where I can just kind of, like. They listen to the words coming out of my mouth like it's it's a, almost like they're not passing the filter in the brain they just come yeah. out and it's cool And you say cool shit and you're like oh damn let me write that shit down it's actually changed i've been writing a lot of good shit that way
0: yeah, which is yeah, fun cool.
1: yeah
0: so so i mean obviously you've on one of the tracks on on all right i believe it is um you, you reference a particular um, incident in Liverpool uh, when you were on tour with us where the oh, power was... basically went. Yeah, it's on Stay Inspired. It's, oh, yeah, it's on yeah. Stay Inspired. Sorry, man. My bad. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I fucked up. But, but, but yeah, that's right. I'm stay inspired. So, so, so talk about that. Yeah, that was um, it. Happened. It's
1: happened to me twice. Um, the first time it happened when I was with you and we were in Hull, and it was the first. Oh
0: yeah, it was the first That's when we recorded "Who Killed Russell Jones" originally, yes. wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, right. That's the the video that we released. There is what happened when the power went out, yeah. and um, yeah, it was like the first. I've 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 since learned why. Um, as we've been like taking apart the set and putting it back together, um, Alias has this this 808 kick drum sample he used a lot on Fallen House, Sunken City. Yeah. And um, the name of that sample, we used it on the new record too. It, it's just this huge bass note that um, the name is just fuck.wave. dot wave. That's the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's that note that like when that note hits uh, on certain systems, because now we're we're putting the, the set back together, and we're looking at all the stems and taking everything apart and putting it back together, we realize that that note has got some frequencies in it that will just blow the shit out of uh, out of a lot of speakers. Like they're, you know damn, like, yeah. And um, and so uh, that it's that note, and so I think that's why multiple on multiple occasions, the first song of my set has caused the fu- like a fuse to blow and the lights and sound to all shut off <laughs>
0: <laughs> you found the 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 venue system brown note <laughs> that's, that's amazing that you, you, you yeah. just found this that just right it's the kill switch now
1: <laughs> yeah fuck that wave that's some joker shit God
0: damn but the beauty of that is you've you've each time it's turned into a show highlight right yeah yeah
1: yeah because when in that instance um the only thing to do you know once you're out there and like your set has started um yeah i refuse to like just awkwardly give up this st- i refuse to give up the stage to anything like if someone comes on that stage i'm gonna deal with them if the fucking power goes out i'm gonna deal with that so uh Yeah, I've just done spoken word. And in Hull, there was like 400 kids there. That was a big crowd, I remember. And I was was really having to like yell this shit. But that that was one of the first times I ever performed Who Killed Russell Jones. And a photographer in the front row switched his camera into video mode and recorded it. And that is the video we released for Who Killed Russell Jones yeah that's that's amazing and the, the other time it happened was on a hardcore tour i we were the only hip-hop act on a bill with two hardcore bands yeah. and that again was like the second night of that tour and we were in like uh north carolina and and it was funny because like the first night was kind of a, a strange like we, we were with these two hardcore bands and i could kind of sense them both looking at me like how is this rapper going to deal with our audience and and the first night went well, but I was still I could still feel like I was being sized up by the other bands. Like that, everyone was cool, yeah. but it was like, can these dudes really hang in our our circuit? And that was the moment after that shit happened. Like, every, you know, everybody on the tour was like, "God damn, man, that was that was really <laughs> powerful." You know, like because a hard, a hardcore band can't do that. Not a lot of other performers can do that. And so, you know, just thinking about that and talking about that and laughing about that, I ended up writing a verse about it because. Uh, it's a good metaphor for my fucking career up to this yeah,
0: point yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i love the fact that you were on tour with hardcore bands and you're blowing the system when and, and 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 with me and dan as well we had a big setup but you were blowing the system with a backing cd essentially at that point so, so let's discuss the many um incarnations of of uh, of your live show yeah one of the things that impressed me about you and sage early on the first times i saw either Review, was you could turn up with a, a cdr yeah and put on a full rap show and uh, and smash the, sh- the shit out of it but since then i've seen you backed by npcs backed by djs and backed by a full band so yeah uh, uh, talk me through some of the d- the different pros and cons of that and, and what influences it obviously there's often the logistics of the tour if 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 the venues are big enough and the fees are big enough then you can do more yeah. if not you've got to hold it down with what you've got so yeah, yeah kind of t- tell us a bit about that
1: yeah that, that that's kind of what influences it i i personally since i've been headlining and since i've been trying to establish what a b dolan show is like separate yeah. from a sage francis show or an atmosphere show or me opening for somebody else since i've been doing that i've been trying to bring the live band as often as i can um, and if not the live band then something bigger something that fills the stage and takes up space and is you know sonically bigger
0: than just a, a cd player um, i mean you you, you you i mean you somehow managed to not go bankrupt when you bought like a 12 piece marching band <laughs> yeah. over to the uk to
1: back you so yeah yeah that was a good exercise you, in, in so you've l-
0: tried a lot of variations yeah 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 <laughs>
1: I mean, I get, I, you know, I, I'm lucky to be surrounded by a lot of really talented artists. And so I, I always have like these ideas and these options. And it's just, uh, sometimes it's just a, like a numbers game of financially making it work. Sometimes yeah. it's, um, but, you know, I, I actually, when I toured with you, when I saw you um, on the Distraction Pieces tour, what you were doing, yeah. that that was like a huge, like, inspiration and led to a lot of the live band stuff we were doing. Because I saw how you guys were doing, what you guys were doing with stems. Um, yeah. Because for me, like, seeing hip hop with a live band, one of the draw, it wasn't always necessarily a selling point because I saw a lot of live bands where... It's the drums were my, my biggest problem with it was the fact that like it you know like you want to hear the specifically the James Brown Clyde Stubblefield break when you hear Film yeah. the Police and you want to hear like this 808 when you hear Earth Movers, um, and so he- hearing that played through one drum set it just sounded like a rock band playing a version of a hip hop beat like, yeah, that I liked
0: c- completely so, so much hip hop over here you'd get to a certain level and that avalanche. That add a live band and it f- would feel to me as if they've taken a step, step backwards because yeah, it's just yeah. not having that same impact it's not having that same, that same effect but what, what, what we decided to do was choose s- certain, like have the band play into a click so yeah. we can choose certain stems from the original record to still be there so you're not just playing to a backing track but you're adding that, that extra synth if you need it that extra kick and everything else so. yeah.
1: and sometimes there's like really sometimes it's like a noise like ah! That, like, it's really important to a fucking beat. And if you don't hear that noise, you don't feel like you're hearing the beat. Yeah. 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 So the stem stuff was really, like, once I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, I like this. Like this, this makes sense. So, and we developed something a little similar, but added um, this analog um, sub fatty that plays the bass notes. Um, that it's uh, that a beast. Gave, yeah, it's yeah, a beast. Yeah, yeah it gives on this crazy punch and shit. But, but uh, even
0: I, I, I remember b- before the speech development tour, you going on and on about uh, bringing this info, <laughs> and it was like dude is it really worth all the shipping and all this and we were really behind your back me and Walgi were like dude we can just recreate this he's just bringing this specific thing that we're gonna have to all relearn to use and not understand and then then when that first show in bristol started and the whole room shook yeah the the venue was on a boat and the boat almost sunk (laughs) and it was like all right no yeah it was worth it was worth shipping over I, i get it now yeah, I've been backstage
1: and and like looked up at the the like rigging and the shit and just seen like metal plates like just vibrating, you know, before I go out for the first song and like I'm like, yeah, this is we this is we this need this. Is it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, and uh and so now I'm i am kind of thinking of um at, at the moment I've been I've been, now that I have that sound card, uh, that I had to purchase for the band that plays those stems, um, now I've got it and I can do other stuff with it too. So I, me and Buddy Peace have been talking about developing a set that uses that sound card to sound as big as a band um but you know like just still work out like a tight mc dj set which is something yeah, that, yeah. that um we have yet to do and buddy has always really wanted to do like he's he's a fan of like those like idea and ability sets or even you know older before that like the run dmc or or public enemy or jazzy Jeff and fresh prince type sets um and that's something that I think uh, uh, we're
0: really going to try and do this year. Me and Buddy Peace. I'm um, so glad you put a Jazzy G- a Jeff, and the Fresh Prince in there because yeah. people people ignore the, their their legitimate part in hip hop because yeah, of yeah. the pop stuff that came that came after. But yeah, yeah that's a legit re- a reference and influence right there. Yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the DJ. I'm the
1: rapper. I think. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the first tapes I ever owned. I was like, yeah. that was probably my first hip hop tape. Yeah. Yeah. And it's dope. Yeah, man. It's no joke. <laughs> yeah.
0: See, so, so, so yeah, uh, kind of at what point do you decide what the setup of the tour is going to be? Is that a last minute thing? Because the, the beauty now is you've got so many variations of your show that you, yeah, I don't know. There seems to be a lot of options.
1: Yeah. I've been working with uh, DS3K, the same engineer that worked on the album. And he he's the dude that Put together the live band setup that we
0: brought last time on the Speech Development Tour, yeah, and, and and it's it's nice that you said that your idea for that live band setup was influenced by seeing the Distraction Pieces tour because you literally used my band. So, <laughs> you know, no, it, it it was a whole lot influenced by it, it was the same people <laughs> playing it. I was like, no yeah. shit, that was influenced really. <laughs> you weren't using them shit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs>
1: But yeah man um but yeah so since since we put that together it's now a thing that exists it's like an Ableton setup that uh, attached yeah. to a sound card so as we're now we're we're loading in all of these new songs into the set um which is exciting too like i'm i'm excited to do sets that don't contain certain songs that i've been doing for a long time you know like yeah. do some of this new shit and uh And yeah, as we build it out, we're building it so that it can be played with a band or it can be played with a DJ or it can be played off a laptop,
0: you know. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds dope. So, so, I mean, we're getting towards the end of of the chat. But before we do, can we talk a little bit about or explain a little bit? and, And me and Sage did this a bit when he was on but explain a little bit the logistics of touring of booking of people buying tickets and this comes in part from a post you did this morning that was kind of saying look um those who have bought like like, early pre-sales do affect the whole tour because it can affect the um the promoter's outlook on how much they're going to spend or put into it it can affect literally the tour in you knowing how much Budget you've got to potentially bring sp- special things to special shows and so on and so forth. So yeah, how closely do you watch the 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 ticket sales and the pre sales as they come through?
1: Yeah, I get I get updates every week from the booking agents on you know which cities are slow, which cities are going fast. Um, Yeah, it's important, man. In general, man, it's important this year that if you've been fucking with us at any point in the past, like, that you fuck with us this year. And fucking with us means, like, sharing the videos, you know, checking out the album. I'm not saying you you have to buy the shit, but I think people are going to dig it when it comes out. Um, and, And if you do, then talk about it online, spread it around. And yeah, like, if you know, get tickets to the fucking show in advance. It helps. It You know, like we are at this point just dealing with the music industry now that the album's done now you know we have to get this monolithic industry to give a shit and the way that happens is our fans have to be vocal um, yeah and you know and by doing that you know that that's how you you know when you complain like ah good shit never comes to my city ah uh, you guys always skip whatever town you know like this is where you can let People know that you want to see the show that yeah. you want to see a big show that you know this is how you you get involved and we don't do kickstarters we don't do indie we don't do that shit for art um we just grind on the road and we tore our asses off and we you know i don't pump put out garbage to to just pay my fucking rent with another bullshit mixtape you know like i I make sure everything I release is official and worth your money so you know, this is how you know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing no fucking like friends benefit. Pack, you yeah. know, like I'm come rapping your living room. Like <laughs> this is the, this is the CD. This is how you support us. It's, um, it's
0: great. I mean, I, I always really enjoy. Of all, for years, I've enjoyed following Jean Grey on Twitter because she's always very open and blunt about. Look, don't come to me saying, "Oh, all the hip hop out there is shit," or, or "There's no good music," or "There's no." that that's here now it's like everything you're complaining about and waiting for and wanting it's here now so yeah. support it yeah. or just or just accept defeat that yeah. the big things are going to be iggy azalea and 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 and, right. and, and, th- and things th- things like that you can't complain about that but then not actively support when the exact thing you're asking for is coming about and i think it's i do think it's tough though from a fan's perspective to it's easier for us to know that th- this is the record that you've been working on for five years this is what everything has been leading up to and i can see that from a fan perspective they've kind of seen stuff regularly coming up either on youtube or or tours here and there or support slots so it's it's a case of trying to get through that message as as you said then that this is the one right now This is what it's been building to. This tour—I mean, this is the first time you've done a world tour, right? The first time you've done a tour that links in America, the UK, Europe. I'm seeing dates potentially being added in Finland, in Greece, and all sorts of crazy places. So that kind of illustrates how. Uh, 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 how big a deal this is to you
1: (laughs) yeah and for yeah and that's why this is like a this is the the, kind of the moment for me personally like uh whereas before i've been out there in support of other people's projects you know like like my 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 album has lined up with the release of somebody else's album so we're touring together but you know ultimately like if you want to see more strange famous in your area if you want to see us more than once a year then that means like go to the sage francis show and go to the b dolan show and go to the scroobius pip show and at each of those shows you're gonna see dope openers dope you know shit and and a different presentation of what we do or you know or the shit's gonna sink and (laughs) and it's gonna be like well you you know i'll be back whenever i mean like whenever i can whenever i can hop on someone's tour it's
0: it's all just kind of informing on 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 the real logistics of it it's no kind of a, a, a woe is me! If no one's there, I'm going to be sad. It's the fact right, that right. people hit us up constantly about come to this town or come to that town. It's like you need to hit your promoters up about that because we would love to, but right. it's not a logistic thing that we can l- look at every comment and then hunt through y- your local area and find out who that and then approach them. Yeah, j- yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not yeah. how how booking really works. So yeah, it's one of them that if if we come into your town. You, you need that support, and if not, then I, you're you're completely entitled to be p- pissed off about that. Yeah. But not at us, right? You know, there's people that you can get pissed off at and say, "Look, the venue up the road, there's no gigs going on half the time, or there's, or oh, it's the same shit. It's pop commercial n- nonsense." You, you can get mad at them and hit them up, but yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's the the other, one.
1: the other thing that's funny is when people hit us up and are like, when they see you're touring and they're like, "Bring Pip." Or like bring bring yeah. Buck sixty five like that that's something we constantly hear because I feel like kids like they they think that because one of us is coming that a we can practically manage to bring all the other rappers they yeah. like yeah. that that we're associated with uh, and the reality of like how that would ever happen is like there would have to be demand in your town to see our shit like they you, you know demand. and so my answer to that is like no you motherfucker you bring your friends to my show <laughs> like, yeah. like, like you bring like go you bring eight motherfuckers that haven't come before to the show make them fans make there enough of a, a strange famous presence and a speech development presence in this city and then yeah then we can look at Oh, now we got this. Now we're bringing a strange famous tour to to Europe. You know, like now you yeah. can see all the rappers you like together because this is just, the promoters just look at numbers. The booking agents well, just look at numbers. You know, that's
0: it. I mean, you, you, me, and Sage alone have have talked numerous times about how dope it'd be to do a, a tour together. Have yeah, yeah, have all yeah. of us out there. That's but right, yeah. the sad thing is, when we've looked into it, logistically, it's tough because essentially two of us will become on a support fee, if you know what right, I mean. Right, so right, right. you're going to have to have one that's kind of getting the headline. or And, right. and the head, it's not like we get these fees and we're are rolling in, in money. These fees goes in, go into touring. These yeah. fees go into putting on a show. It's not like it's as simple as splitting that because then we need to get it all together. But yeah, anyway, that's kind of an, an, enough about that. I think we've covered everything there. Have you got anything else are you, you want to tell the people, B-Dolan?
1: Shit, what do I want to tell the people? The, re- the man uh, all i got to tell the people is is on the record it's is kind con- <laughs> yeah. con- next week is is going to be here you're going to get to hear what we've
0: been working on and uh and, and and what i love about this shit is so much of it that there's always it's it's not like when i was growing up where it's right i need to take a gamble on my investment here the fact is you've got a video on YouTube for for Jailbreak of you, Buck 65 and Aesop Rock. You've got the All Right fan video. You've got Who Killed Russell Jones. There's kind of – people can go and s- sample this shit for free. And then yep. if you're feeling it, all we would say is put your money in your pocket or your hand in your pocket and, and, and spend on that.
1: Yeah, and by the time this is out, the album will be streaming uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, you could probably just stream the shit on our SoundCloud yeah. and, and check it out. Yeah, but yeah, man. I, I stand perfect. by it for sure.
0: Well, perfect. Well, thank you very much, sir. It's been a pleasure talking. I'm hoping this works with all the Skype weirdness, but uh, yeah. And congratulations on your album coming out after five years. Yeah, and thank you for for everything you've done to put it out, man. Like you, you know, you're going hard for it, and
1: um, I love you for that. Pip speech development,
0: big, big love.
1: Yeah, Oh yeah.
0: You've been listening to Scrooge picks: Scratch Pieces. There we go. That was Mr B Dolan on episode 47 that I said. I think it was 47. Um, yeah, Gr- great to chat with him. Um, actually, as we're at the end now, obviously I always ask you to a subscribe and support and all that kind of thing subscribe on itunes rate review if you can tell your friends but while we're here i'll go through them dates once again in america he's um at the met uh for the release show on july 11th in providence Rhode Island. He's at kung fu necktie in philadelphia um on the 15th and then on the 25th at first avenue in minneapolis then he's doing spoken word at best of all um on the Isle of Wight, on the 13th of September. And then on the 15th, he's at the Rainbow in Birmingham. The 16th, the Deaf Institute in Manchester. The 17th, the Ferret in Preston. The 18th, Electric Circus in Edinburgh. The 19th, Stereo in Glasgow. The 21st, The Fleece in Bristol. 22nd, The Globe in Cardiff. 23rd, XOWIO in London. I can't wait for that. I, I love that venue. And Dolan in there is just going to make it explode. Um, and then the Haunting Brighton on the 24th. I believe London... Brighton and Manchester I think he said are the ones that are selling best and closest to selling out there's, there's going to be some island dates added um, hopefully in between the September shows and then when he hits Europe on October 1st at the Sugar Factory in Amsterdam October 3rd at the Pan Piper in Paris October 5th at the, the, the Molotov Bar in Hamburg October 6th at the Private Club in Berlin and October 10th at the, the Botanique in Brussels which is one of my favourite venues in the world um yeah check b dolan out on too. i hope you've enjoyed this t- secret little special edition it's secret that i've not t- spoken about it online but if you want to tell your friends i'm fine with you sharing it um yeah thank you for tuning in we will be back next week with more of the distraction pieces podcast i've been scroobius pip you can hit me up at scroobius on twitter at scroobius pip on instagram or facebook.com slash scroobius pip thank you and good night.
1: Yeah, this is B Dolan, doing a trailer for my new album, Kill the Wolf, out July 10th on Strange Famous Records and Speech Development. Kill the Wolf is the album that I've been working on for the past, one, two, three, four, five fucking years. I can't believe it's finally finished, but it is. I don't know if I'll ever be able to... Jesus, Jesus cupcake. I produced the majority of the beats on the album that began in this room here as little scratch beats that I would make on my equipment and then take into the bigger project studio. Worked with DS3K, the engineer that built A fucking beautiful studio in the middle of the album. Synth lines I wrote here will get recorded on these big, beautiful analog synths that DS3K has. Yeah man, it's been a wild road. Um, we programmed the live set for the cross-pollination tour with Circle Texas Square. Had to stop touring, had to stop playing shows. Came home, built the studio, everything got stalled. By the time I got back, I was run down, diabetes, celiac disease, lost 20 pounds. I've been crawling back to life at this point right now. Things are moving along now, got some momentum back. Feeling good. And me gambled here on music room with Hustlers oh. of the tour. Hell, I ain't afraid to roll in devilish places. We just brought in tons of people that uh, I was excited to work with, friends and people I met along the way in the past five years. Alias came down and, and tracked some synths with us, uh, Buddy Peace lent some drums, Opheus, Aesop Rock, Buck 65, Cecil Otter produced uh, the opening track Lazarus, there's this uh, dude Mike Brown that plays um, upright bass. On <laughs> Kathleen Stublick of Circle Takes the Square. Dave Lamb of Brownbird, great Providence band, and a dude that sadly passed away. I was lucky enough to work with him on this project. Roz Raskin of Roz and the Rice Cakes, another exciting Providence band. Cupcake, damn it! Daddy's trying to make a video. At the same time that this album is the most control I've ever had over the production of a record, it's also the most collaborative thing I've ever done. This is the manifesto after five years in the woodshed. People are finally going to get to hear it. I'm pretty excited that I I lived to see the day. This is as good as I can make an album. This is my best album, and it's as good as it fucking gets. So if you don't like this shit, you can just, you can just log off after this shit, because it don't get no better. Kill the Wolf, July 10th, Strange Famous Records, Speech Development, we coming for you.